Welcome to Blooming Out on Community Radio, WFHB. Blooming Out is a forum by and for the LGBTQ plus community. Each week we explore the issues, events pertaining to the LGBT community in Indiana, the U.S., and internationally. We speak with guests about human rights, coming out, the legality of being gay, and much more. Blooming Out is a multiple award-winning program here on Community Radio, WFHB. Thanks for listening to Blooming Out. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Blooming Out. I'm Frankie Preslav. I'm Justin Robertson. I'm Kevin Mosenzade. Well, hello, Justin and Kevin. So hey, Frankie. Let's do a kind of a rundown. How was the fourth? It was good for me. I didn't do anything patriotic with <laughs> nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, like, uh, red, white, and blue cookies or anything? No. I just hung out with my dogs and calmed them down. Oh, doing all oh. the Yeah, antics. they hate the fireworks, so oh. that's my you, job you on the fourth. Hiding with your, <laughs> your shawl in the corner yes. with your little puppy. Exactly. Your little miniature dog. <laughs> um, how about you, Kevin? Um, I was up in Indianapolis uh, visiting my brother and got to spend the day with him. And one of our friends flew out from D.C. And so we got to spend the day with her. And we were in a very overcrowded pool for part of the day um, because it was so hot out. And yeah, it <laughs> we're was melting. Scorching. It was a hot, melting out hot, there. Hot day. We did the parade. Me and uh, oh, the yeah? family okay. walked in the, um, the the Fourth of July parade, and that was definitely a new experience. Was it? What was the? What were you in the? Parade? I was. <laughs> what was I? Frankie. He was uh, just Frankie. I was just Frankie. <laughs> just Frankie. Did you just have Frankie. your own like? Yeah, it was just Frankie me. No, it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, I'm Team Frankie. Actually, no, I was uh, part of the Democratic, uh, you know, group marching oh, uh-huh. to other political people and this and that. So it was fun. I've never, when I was a kid, I used to do um, ride in the parade. When I was in 4-H, we had horses and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I haven't done it in a hundred thousand years. So it was fun. So you know, a handful of my kids did it, and it was it was just kind of fun, little campy. You know, doing old Bloomington stuff. Yeah. So um, throwing candy stuff. Throw, like you can't throw candy anymore. Why? You you ha- because somebody why? got pegged in the forehead oh, like geez. last year. So you have to hand the candy out. Which <laughs> then you have to make eye contact <laughs> and communicate with people. How unfun! What did they have a lesson on this? They we <laughs> did, they read it. Yeah, yeah, it was all kinds of stuff. The do's and don'ts oh, of, no. of parades mm. and stuff. And then when I was walking by. Um, this one family um, just gave me a really dirty look and told the kids not to wave or say hello to me because we're of the wrong party. And I just stopped and I'm like, hey, uh, we're still all Americans. We can say hello. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) And they did and they were really happy and we made friends and they gave them some candy and we moved on. But that was like... I got some shade right there. Wow. Yeah, so. Interesting. So anyway, so tonight we have Andrew Bar- Bear, who serves as the Vice President of Operations for GLASS, Gays and Lesbians Achieving Sobriety Together, helping people in the LGBT community recover from ad- addictions and alcohol. But first, let's catch up on this week's LGBTQ plus news with our very own Justin. <laughs> Thanks, Frankie. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, the headline is race car driver Lewis Hamilton wears a kilt to apologize for shaming his nephew. 
He's fast, he's dramatic, but now British race car driver Lewis Hamilton is making over his image with an apology. And by wearing a kilt on the cover of British GQ. Late last year, the four-time Formula One champion had gender-shamed his nephew for wearing a dress, not in private, but on his Instagram account with 5.7 million followers. Quote, I'm so sad right now. Look at my nephew, unquote, Hamilton said in a posted video with his young nephew who was wearing a purple and pink princess dress. Boys don't wear dresses, he yelled. His nephew covered his ears and turned away. He was roundly criticized, though elements of his testosterone-driven fan base praised him. Hamilton, 33, later apologized with three tweets, written with the flair of a publicist. The final one said, I have always been in support of anyone living their life exactly how they wish, and I hope I can be forgiven for this lapse of judgment. Social media antics aren't unfamiliar to Hamilton. He's drawn attention posting a video of a chihuahua humping a Donald Trump toy. While he's supported American football players kneeling for the national anthem, he's also recently railed against his Mercedes racing team for his falling short in the Austrian Grand Prix. He's now ranked fourth on the Formula One circuit. The splash on British GQ is part apology and a more intricate marketing dance. Tommy Hilfiger designed the GQ kilts for Hamilton. While Hilfiger was touted for approving the photo shoot, he and Hamilton are, but of course, creating a clothing line together. With the British GQ rebrand, Hamilton himself offered no more insight. He tried to let the kilts speak for themselves, and in his column, GQ editor Dylan Jones skipped the gender-shaming incident. Jones said he invited Hamilton to be on the British Fashion Council a few years ago, indicating Hamilton's holiday outburst derailed the clothing project. His column focused only on praising Hamilton for his attention to detail. <laughs> Quote, in the past, some F1 driver's devotion has surpassed reason. With Hamilton, one senses an almost mathematical obsession with minutiae, both <laughs> mechanical and statistical. In a sideboard to the British GQ cover story, writer Theo von den Broek said he was conflicted about Hamilton, yet painted an apology for him. Quote, to me, he seemed like a young man, both blessed with good intentions and cursed with a severe lack of guidance. During my time with Hamilton, I sense that the slight superiority he occasionally projects is in fact little more than a wall he's built to protect himself. Oh, what do you guys think about this? Well, I, I, I was we were talking prior to we went on the air, and I've kind of not followed, but I've I've seen it kind of pass the the you know my eyes a couple different times about what um, he was up to and mm -hmm. what had happened and the kind of the backlash that immediately happened. Um, you know, it's it's I think it's one of those things that's kind of a you know a lesson learned. Um, I, I know that some people are, are a little harsh on him and should be. I mean, I think what he did was, you know, wrong. Um, but I think, you know, the community's still kind of, uh, you know, not necessarily giving him a pass immediately. Um, but he, he has this brand going out now and he's in a kilt. So I guess does that make him now 
you know, friendly to, to, to the team. No. I mean, that's my problem with it is a kilt is not a dress. Right. And it's not a skirt. And right. in fact, you know, in the 17th century, kilt was um, part of the British military uniform. So it's a very macho thing. It's not, you know, I, right. I, I think it's an empty gesture. And I think that he is selling clothes. Well, he definitely is so, selling clothes. <laughs> I find it almost just as offensive as to what he did to his oh, okay. nephew in the first place. I, I love that. But that maybe I'm just are... too uptight. No, I think that, you know, I, I'm, i you know, sometimes – well, that's not true because I think you sometimes you forgive more than I forgive. Um, <laughs> maybe once. <laughs> maybe once or twice. I don't know. I think it's something that, yes, definitely he's going to earn some, some, some money from this. Um, I think by him doing this, he can definitely make people aware um, of, you know, kind of what he had done and what, uh, you know, that he's kind of riding the boat. Um, and I, I don't know. I just I've, I've mixed emotions about the whole thing. I mean, what, what would you like to see him do? Well, he says on the cover of GQ here, he says, I want to make amends. Lewis Hamilton refuses to skirt the issue. Well, once again, a kilt is not a skirt, so it's, okay. it just doesn't make any sense to me. Now, if he wore a dress, or if he just came out dress. and publicly apologized, did and he just say, said, I'm so. sorry? Well, he did say he was sorry. I mean, he, he wrote, you know... I think we, we have it down somewhere okay, where he did. And, 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 you know, one of the, the writers said that I he was very charming and they felt that, you know, he, you know, was getting a lot of heat for something that, uh, you know, he should be forgiven about now. Um, but but I get it. I, I totally get it. How about you, Kevin? Do you have a, a thought? Well, or I like the fact he's trying. Um, I think that's encouraging. You know, people oftentimes don't realize, like, how offensive a comment like that, like, dresses don't belong mm-hmm. on boys can be mm-hmm. to people who are part of our community and, and who support LGBT causes or, or whatever cause. And, you know, people, allies outside of our community or even notice those types of things. But so I think there's a learning curve that comes with with these types of things. And hopefully he's on that learning curve. But I, I can definitely see how people would think that it was an empty gesture, mm-hmm. that you're somehow profiting off of this and that if you really, you know, care, then why would you do it on the cover of GQ, why wouldn't you just do it some other way, right. you know, yes. an interview, whatever it may be. But I guess that's exactly my point. You know, I yeah. feel like it's 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 self-promotion, it's all these things, but what you said earlier, I, I do agree with. Like, I think that it's a learning curve, and he's probably learned something, and he has Yeah, filter. But then he's l- <laughs> learned to use it as a way to, you know, promote his right. clothing line. Right. Yeah. And... Well, do you think if like he had his nephew on GQ with him and the ne- nephew in his dress, yeah. that would have been fabulous? Yeah, I think right there. Yes, yes. I think if we're gonna if we're gonna sell it out, we should <laughs> sell it out. Yeah, you're right. I like that deal. Well, in other news, Sharon Brackett becomes first trans woman elected to public office in Maryland. June 26th was a historic one for LGBTQ people in politics. Sharon Brackett has become the first trans woman to be elected to public office in the state of Maryland. Brackett triumphed in a contested primary against 14 other candidates. Ms. Brackett was elected to the 46th District Democratic Central Committee, representing the neighborhoods of Canton, Locust Point, Federal Hill, Brooklyn, Curtis Bay, and Cherry Hill, all located in Baltimore City. In response to the historic night, Brackett said, quote, I want to believe that we led an upbeat campaign rooted in my philosophy of infectious optimism. 
As a pragmatic progressive, I am hoping to bring a new energy and dynamic to the Central Committee in Baltimore. I would like to believe that being trans is the least interesting thing about me, but I recognize the significance and the importance that this moment brings, especially to thousands of trans individuals like myself who may have previously thought public office was unattainable. Tonight's victory is a testament that with hard work, dedication, and an infectious optimism that regardless of gender identity, one can serve the public in any capacity. The newly elected official concluded, I am looking forward to serving the Democrats of District 46 and hope to build our base and success in getting strong candidates position for success moving our progressive values forward, unquote. Brackett has been an outspoken activist for the LGBTQ community for years. She's a founder and board chair of Gender Rights Maryland and was Baltimore Pride's Activist of the Year in 2014. She's also served on the board of OutServe SLDN, the leading national advocacy and legal organization for LGBTQ service members, veterans, and their families, as well as the Point Foundation, the national LGBTQ scholarship organization. So that's great news. That is very good news. So along with all this this Trump stuff going on, <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to occasionally see, you know, progressive things happening still. Yes. You know, it, it's we we got to remind our, ourselves that uh, you know that that people are out voting and and what a difference it makes. And it's awesome that you know we're bringing in people from just you know. Uh, Parts of culture, our culture that you know maybe would not feel empowered at one point, mm-hmm. and and I think that's one positive thing that the the the, the Trump um, thing has start started the Trump thing. I don't know, what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for? The Trump administration. Well, not even the, the, the administration. Trump presidency. The, yeah, the Trump thing. The, the Trump thing. Trump we'll just say <laughs> we'll just keep it at the Trump thing. That that it's bringing progressives out. It's bringing people out that, you know, might not have felt before that they had a place. Even with the Obama administration, I think that people were going, but maybe didn't feel it was as important or that, you know, they didn't need to be out there publicly as much. I know because this is, you know, being a a trans person and, and going as public as this. I mean, you you take heat not just from your 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 home turf but national and international and it's it's a big deal mm-hmm. and you know but it's it's awesome that we're you know electing these people and and people are out voting and saying hey you know that's not important what's important mm-hmm. is that you're intelligent um that you're you know that you you think like i do um, and we, we need some changes. And so it's, it's just exciting to see stuff like this happening. I agree. It's really exciting. And, yeah, there, there might be something good to all this craziness that's going on in that there's a backlash to it. Right. And I think people are more open-minded and really more willing to go out on a limb right. to elect people. Um, like Miss Brackett. You know, I mean, I, I think it's just it's, – it's wonderful. It's exciting. Yeah. Um, so in another news story, on Monday, the World Health Organization announced it will no longer classify being transgender as a mental disorder in a move that has been hailed as a very strong message. In the long-awaited and welcome change, the UN Health Agency confirmed that there is no evidence that gen- gender 
incongruence is a mental disorder as they revise their International Classification for Diseases, or ICD, and say that the release of this information should help combat the stigma that trans people face. The report states, quote, gender incongruence, meanwhile, has also been moved out of mental health disorders in the ICD into sexual health conditions. The rationale being that while evidence is now clear that it is not a mental disorder, and indeed classifying it in this way can cause enormous stigma for people who are transgender, there remain significant health care needs that can be best met if the condition is coded under the ICD. Jeffrey Reed, the psychologist coordinating the mental health and behavior, behavior sections of the ICD, added that trans people will be able to access more appropriate care more easily. He said, quote, the intention is to reduce barriers to care, unquote. And, and professor of clinical psychology at Columbia University and chief consultant to the new section of the code highlighted the social benefits of sending this very strong message. Quote, it's sending a very strong message, message that the rest of the world is no longer considering it a mental disorder. One of the benefits of moving it out of the mental disorder section is trying to reduce stigma, unquote. 31 countries were involved in the ICD testing, with over 1,600 participants taking part in the code assignment. The positive news came after nearly half of UK employers revealed that they are prejudiced against trans people. After a poll of 1,000 different workplaces, 43% of employers said that they are, quote, unsure if they would hire a transgender person in their workplace. Out of the one in three employers admitting that they are less likely to hire a transgender person, just 8% said that they believe they should have the same rights to be employed as cisgendered people in a survey carried out by the Crossland Employment Solicitors. However, this transphobia is not limited to the workplace. More than half, 51%, think Women's Aid, the UK domestic violence charity, is wrong to consider lifting its ban on transgender women working in their refugees. And nearly a quarter, 23%, think that the Labour Party was wrong to open its all-women shortlist to self-identifying transgender women. Wow. Interesting. Very interesting. So what are your thoughts on this one, Kevin? Um, very happy that the World Health Organization is doing this. Um, stigma is, you know, stigma is the biggest issue that transgender people, LGBTQ people um, face. Um, and, and also the stigma um, with mental health disorders itself. Um, and so separating those two and, and it sends a signal to transgender people that they're, you're not mentally disabled because you're transgender. You're normal. You're human. Right. You're a person. And that's important for so many other people in the world to hear. Absolutely. You know, people in our country as well. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, that it's just this is comes at a perfect time, mm -hmm. you know. And I, and I, I always kind of wonder when, when, you know, you're starting to see more and more um, – uh, things like this occur that if it is kind of thumbing at you know the United States that we because we've made a, a turn in our little you know progression um, of, of of people and mm -hmm. um, if this is you know kind of a direct saying hey you know you know the other countries the World Organization doesn't consider this that we need to step up so there's still a lot of work to be done but this is this is huge 
for for this to happen. So don't touch your dial while we take a few minutes to enjoy some music from our featured artist this week, Frankie Cosmos. Can you tell anyone this stuff? Can you ever tell it enough? Will it make a difference? Will they forget it with You are just listening to This Stuff by Frankie Cosmos. Tonight's guest, Andrew Baer, serves as the Vice President of Operations of GLAST, overseeing the administrative, financial, and strategic planning aspects of the organization. Andrew began serving as a volunteer leader for the organization in October of 2017. In addition to volunteering with GLAST, Andrew also serves as a board member for Cincinnati Pride on the steering committee of the Greater Cincinnati Human Rights Campaign as the volunteer engagement chair and is engaged with local communities in the Greater Cincinnati area as a recovery advocate. Andrew completed his Bachelor of Science in Business at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis and is currently pursuing his Master's of Business Administration at Xavier University. GLAST, which is Gays and Lesbians Achieving Sobriety Together, is a nonprofit organization in Kentucky formed with the purpose of helping people in the LGBTQ community recover from addiction and alcoholism. This is not a 12-step program of recovery or religious organization nor does it intend to be, but serves more as a network of LGBTQ plus people in recovery in the tri-state area, which is Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. Glass believes every addicted LGBTQ plus person should have the opportunity to get clean and sober. By working in collaboration with community leaders and partners, they lend a helping hand to LGBTQ plus people who struggle with addiction. The primary programming is through peer support, which is peer-to-peer -peer meeting held regularly for participants to discuss topics related to recovery within the LGBTQ community. They also host a number of fun social events throughout the year, regularly work with community partners to participate in homeless outreach initiatives, 
and advocate for safe and inclusive spaces at events and festivals for those in the, in the recovery community. They also promote continued education for those working in the field of recovery. More information on all of the organization's programming and events is available on their website, www.glass.org, and on their Facebook page, facebook.com backlash Cincinnati. Well, thank you for that, <laughs> Justin, and uh, welcome back to Blooming Out. And um, Andrew, are you on the line? Yeah, I'm on the line. Great. So, um, you're a busy guy. <laughs> I try to stay pretty engaged. Definitely. And, and we really appreciate you making time um, to, to be on the show tonight and, and talk about all the great things that you're doing. I greatly appreciate the opportunity. And we have uh, Kevin and uh, Justin sitting here with me, and we're going to um, co-host and ask you some questions about uh, what uh, what your organization is. But before we start there, I want to know a little bit about you, of how you got involved in, in this particular uh, event and, and, and why this is important to you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, I'm a gay male living in the Cincinnati area, born and raised in Cincinnati, spent some time in Indianapolis as well. Um, you know, I'm a person in recovery today and have struggled with substance abuse and alcoholism uh, for a number of years um, and had really been seeking recovery for approximately the last five years um, and trying to find a new way of life. Um, so I, you know, had been working a program of recovery in a 12-step program um, and connected with some people who had just started a peer support meeting last year um, and just became very compelled to continue my further, you know, continue further involvement in order to enhance my personal recovery and be able to connect with individuals in the LGBT community who may be struggling with similar experiences that I was. So, um, how did you, did you, how did you get in contact, I guess, with the, with the people that you were working with and decide to do this? Was this something that, um, you know, that you felt as a, a gay male that you, you, we're looking for um, more other gays that were dealing with the same issues that you are and more. Um, you know, what kind of brought you into that to think that or feel that a GBLTQ um, support group would, would be the way to go? Well, I definitely can't take credit for founding the organization. You know, the idea was started off by a couple people sitting in a room saying, you know, I really believe there's a problem in our community. What can we do? Um, Martin Warren, who's our president and co-founder of the organization, has really led that effort on getting some traction and getting things up and started. So it began with Martin and Stephanie Schreier sitting in a room, uh, the both board members now, um, and starting this thing they called Peer Support. Um, and, you know, I showed up at a meeting um, roughly last, I think it was last September, um, and just really felt compelled that it was something that aligned with my personal beliefs that, you know, when I found a program of recovery prior to being engaged with GLASS, uh, most of my friends were not, you know, LGBTQ. Um, I had a lot of straight friends, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I have lots of straight friends today. Um, but I felt uncomfortable and disconnected from the LGBT community and was struggling to find my footing on um, how to be a part of the community and sober because um, many times in my experiences where I would meet people in the community is like, you know, out at bars or at social events that are, um, 
very alcohol heavy and focused and I felt uncomfortable going to those environments being a person in recovery um, so for me the organization has just bridged that gap and enabled me to participate in just about anything that I want to in the community with a group of sober people just like me and able to be of use to others that sounds absolutely great. I, I, hi, Andrew. This is Justin. And um, I was really impressed when I found out about this group because I didn't know such a thing existed. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, you know, nationally it doesn't, you know. Um, I'm sure You may or may not be aware, but, you know, in the LGBT population it's estimated that substance abuse and addiction is approximately uh, three, three times greater than the general population. Which wow. It's somewhere between 27 and 30 percent of the LGBTQ population suffering with some type of concerns with substance abuse or addiction, um, which is a pretty great number. And the number of specialized care programs throughout the U.S. is not very great. Why do you think that the LGBTQ population has been hit so hard with uh, substance abuse? Well, I mean, there's a number of reasons. It's taken me years to process, but I mean, most simplistically put, I just believe that you know, uh, when I was younger, it wasn't so acceptable, or at least my perception of being gay was not as acceptable to others, and I felt uncomfortable. So I naturally felt, you know, behaviors of wanting to hide um, who I was and wanting to uh, just kind of be more introverted into myself and not expressing myself. Um, and I, you know, found drugs and alcohol very, very easy to kind of be a social lubricant to be able to do those things. And in working with a lot of other individuals similar to me, I think that most of them share that experience. So um, as far as, like, how, how do you um, – I guess I, what I, where are you right now as far as with, with the particular programs that you guys are doing? And you're based now in where? We're um, based out of – I would you know, the greater Cincinnati area is our scope right, primarily right now. Mm-hmm. Um, our PO box is in Covington. Um, we don't have an actual brick and mortar facility. We're working on hopefully getting that in place within the next six months. We're working on a deal, um, but uh, we're 100% volunteer organization. You know, we've helped individuals in Cincinnati, uh, Lexington, um, Northern Kentucky, Lawrenceburg, Indiana, um, a couple in Indianapolis. So we envision ourselves being uh, hopefully like more of a tri-state hub for recovery. So what that looks like right now is, you know, you kind of mentioned it in the overview in the beginning, but peer support is our primary programming. Um, We hold weekly meetings in northern Kentucky and regular meetings in Cincinnati and in Lexington um, where we just meet peer-to-peer and talk about topics as it relates to recovery in the LGBT community. Um, And it's a harm reduction model, so everyone is welcome to attend. Whether you are abstinent from substances or maybe it is self-harm or maybe it's um, concerns with overeating, or um, it could be a number of things. You know, we try to be open to helping anyone who's struggling. So you're 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 covering just a lot of avenues as far as you're not just doing uh, drugs and alcohol. You said that you're also covering eating disorders as well. Yeah, and to be quite frank with you, you know, we don't have tons of experience in that, but um, several of our participants have experienced concerns with that, and we've welcome them with open arms and help connect them with community resources because you know we're, we're both a pool of people and we have partnerships with a lot of people in the greater Cincinnati area um, such as detox centers, treatment facilities, hospitals, 
um, clinicians, you know, a lot of support that is required for recovery. You know, we do not envision ourselves as a program of recovery that is the only thing that is going to keep someone sober, but we envision ourselves as an organization that helps bridge that gap to get people to where they may need to be. Adam, this is Kevin. Um, Can you talk a little bit about, like, the the issues that face the LGBTQ community when it comes to substance addiction or addiction in general, how do those differ from what you might see uh, in the straight community? What uh, unique situations is our community facing in that way? Well, I mean, I think alcohol is a, is a big part of a lot of events, mm-hmm. you know, for a number of years, um, and not so much in my lifetime, but even before that, you know, a gay bar was about the only place where you could go to express yourself. And I think that we are still seeing a lot of carryover into the generations today that, you know, uh, people go to the bar because that's the only place they feel safe. I know my experience when I was um, 18, that was one of the first places where I felt I could truly be myself. And people there were using drugs and alcohol, you know, pretty heavily in most cases. And that's where I continued to find myself. Um, So I think that that's a big part of it. And then I think, you know, just the sex aspect of being a gay male also, um, like Crystal Matthews is often kind of brushed over in our community, in my opinion. But, you know, in the participants that we've had in our peer support, the number one thing that people have struggled with is actually not alcohol. It's not heroin. It's Crystal Matthews in the gay community. Um, So I think that there's a lot of, you know, sexual behaviors that are related to that, too, um, that are very closely intertwined with being LGBTQ. Absolutely. So this peer support system you're talking about, um, what, how, does that, how does that operate? Uh, can you kind of like walk us through what, what that kind of looks like? Yeah. So like, you know, I attended peer support last night in northern Kentucky. Um, we had a little, I think, 13 people last night. Um, but we just got together. We go around the room, introduce ourselves. We check in um, just very briefly, I, going over our pronouns. Um, if we identify as an alcoholic or an addict or a sex addict or if we have any, um, you know, identification we associate with ourselves that we're struggling with, um, you know, we identify that as well. Um, and then we just do a very brief check-in, you know, one to two minutes about where we're at in that moment. Um, after we go around the room and doing that, um, we go into a period of a focused discussion um, so, like, for example, our uh, topic last night was rejection in the LGBT community um, of just experiences that where we have felt rejected and, you know, how does our recovery, uh, do, how does it intertwine with that topic? Um, so, like, for me, you know, I, I felt rejected a lot of points in my life, um, but just, like, how do I deal with that being sober instead of turning to drugs and alcohol when I feel uncomfortable, I don't feel a part of? You know, how do I deal with that sober? Um, and that's the remaining of the time that we meet is, is that um, we typically meet for an hour, depending on the size of the group. Lately, it's been growing. Um, and we're exploring for me- meeting for an hour and a half. Um, but then we wrap up. Uh, the very last thing we do each meeting is we focus on what is one goal that we'd like to focus on between now and the next time that we meet as it relates to our recovery. Um, so what's one specific thing that I could focus on? Um, so that's kind of what the average peer support meeting looks like. Um, in many instances, we do some type of fun event afterwards, like last night. About half of us went together and 
uh, went and saw the fireworks show together. And, you know, that is a really important part of what Glass has done for me is it's like I have this network of people that at any time, every single day I talk to that, you know, I go do fun things together with. You know, they're, they're kind of my crew that I have found today. That's awesome. Hey, we got to excuse us for a moment and put this uh, discussion on hold uh, for our weekly event calendar and a music break, and we'll be right back. All right. Thank you. Thank just listening to Vessel by Frankie Cosmos off of her album of the same name, Vessel. Uh, now we're going to take a look at the community calendar. 
um check out the Monroe County Fair at the Monroe County Fairgrounds at 5700 West Airport Road, Bloomington. Um looks like tonight for the fair they have the the grandstand motorcycle ATV races um and the landmark collision free stage. Um and the fair goes on tomorrow and through Sunday. Um we also have see looks like we have some karaoke with kj coley d at the back door and that's at 207 south college avenue um that's around the back in the alley that's july 8th at 10 p.m oh and on monday we have the lgbtq senior social at cheddar's restaurant on 126 south franklin road Bloomington Pride's LGBT Aging and Caring Network holds their monthly social for LGBTQ seniors along with allies. They hold a happy hour and dinner social each month, and all are welcome. Um, they provide support, plan social activities, and create educational opportunities for the aging LGBTQ population in Monroe County and surrounding communities within the Bloomington Pride organization. Um, and that's at 5 p.m. on Monday, July 9th. All right, we're going to take it back to Blooming Out. Welcome back to Blooming Out. Let's pick up where we left off. We're talking to Adam, who is the Vice President of Operations for Glast. Andrew. Andrew. Andrew, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know where Adam came from. Um, <laughs> but, so, <Whoops. laughs> Andrew, um, can you talk about the importance of service and what you guys do and, and the role that that kind of plays in achieving sobriety? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um so, you know, just in my experience, I, I believe that everyone has something to offer, you know, whether you're uh, just one day sober or uh, you've been sober for a number of years or whether you're just still struggling and trying to get it. Um, you know, in my experience with GLASS, the people who we've kind of thrown into service and given them responsibility, you know, feel empowered. And as long as we kind of lend a helping hand in them doing that, you know, we've seen tremendous results. Um, you know, not to get too personal into everyone's story, but, you know, one individual that we work with, um, you know, has was literally living under a bridge in the Lexington area. And, you know, when we encountered him, you know, we worked with him, talked through his needs. And, you know, mm -hmm. today he's a member of our organization who contributes in a large capacity and has planned a number of our so sober events and is actively engaged in all of our programming. Um, and, you know, we didn't wait until it was like, uh, well, you need to have two months or three months or six months. So, you know, we, of course, guide them along and hold their hand and don't just throw them to the wolves. But, you know, we help them through that process of what does it look like to be useful and feel like you have something to offer to the world. And I think that that's really important in everyone's recovery is feeling that you have something to offer. Because um, when you're, you know, beat down and broken and, you know, your life is just a disaster and everything feels wrong, you just feel like it's the end and you don't have anything to offer. So we really immediately try to show people that they do have value. How is um, your organization, you know, as far as just within the LGBT community? I mean, is this, you know, do you, are you finding a lot of support within the community or is this something still kind of on the fringes that yeah. people aren't necessarily talking about or they're just learning about at this point? I think, you know, we're still fairly new, uh, being that we were just founded last year. Uh, we were at Cincinnati Pride last year, and that was the only festival. This year we were at Pride in five cities. 
Um, so, you know, we had a lot more presence and visibility. But, you know, the support that we've received has been, has been very good. Um, we've worked hand-in-hand hand with Cincinnati Pride, who has helped us from day one, you know, showing us what it looks like to get our 501c3, helping us out financially, getting our feet off the ground, you know, sponsoring an entire sober zone where we had the opportunity to have a safe space at our Cincinnati Pride Festival and engage with thousands of members who attended Cincinnati Pride, um, you know, about our organization. Um, so I think, you know, the, it is a slow process. People are still learning about it. But we've received a very amount of large feedback that things are, it's been very positive. So how are you uh, running the fundraisers? How are you generating income, I guess, at this point? To, you said that you're looking for a brick-and-mortar place, and you're working on that actively now. Um, are you uh, having, you know, fundraisers? Are you going to businesses? How, how, are, you, how are you doing this to, to make sure that this continues? So, I mean, right now, uh, primarily we're funded just through donation-based funding, so talking to individuals and advocates in the community and having them contribute for specific purposes. You know, we've been very diligent about keeping our operating costs very low, especially our administrative costs. You know, to give you a rough idea, our budget last year was under $5,000, and we worked with 98 people in the community. Um, you know, this year we'll probably be double with that, double that, and we'll work with uh, at least double, probably triple the amount of people that we worked with last year. Um, but donation funding has been the primary source of funding. We just received our first $1,000 grant funding, which we were excited about, um, and that is an avenue we would like to continue to explore as we develop and you know, have a very clear vision for um, the future of what we're trying to build. What what uh, What is in that future? Where do you see Glass going? What are your objectives? Are you trying to grow, expand to more cities? What can you talk a little bit about that? So I envision us staying within the tri-state community. Okay. Um, you know, we would really like to uh, be a recovery hub for the LGBT community in the greater Cincinnati area. Um, we've had favorable experiences with people locating from Lexington and South Shore, uh, Kentucky, you know, more remote places where they've moved to Cincinnati. We've connected them with the resources. We've helped them every step of the way, and they've continued to stay sober. So, I mean, I think the vision within the next five years for certain, if not three years, is to have, um, you know, our, our own facility where we operate our peer support um, and then also house individuals um, for uh, care, uh, you know, like a sober living with medical uh, professionals involved providing services as well. So right now we're just doing a lot of partnership building with different organizations and trying to figure out what the scope of that would really look like mm-hmm. and where the sources of funding would come from. Who do you who do you guys tend to partner with, these partnership organizations? Um, I mean, at first, you know, it was just anyone who would support us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now yeah. a lot of it is, you know, we're trying to grow into bigger, more stabilized, formalized partnerships. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a partnership with Safe and Supported, which is a subsidiary of uh, Lighthouse Youth Facilities, or one of their one of their programs um, that helps the LGBT homeless uh, youth uh, and population up to age 24. So we do homeless outreach on a monthly basis with them. You know, a member of our board is also on their board. Um, you know, they also offer cultural competency training for facilities. So what we're kind of cycling around doing right now is talking to these medical facilities, talking to these treatment centers, talking to sober living, 
and getting them to attend the cultural competency training that's offered through Safe and Supported. So, you know, that's kind of what that partnership is looking like right now for us. Um, and then also just meeting, you know, with members of city council, meeting with uh, the treatment centers and talking with their staff directly about, you know, what can we do to help you educate your individuals and offer a more inclusive space. Because as of right now, without our community partners, you know, we wouldn't be able to assist individuals. We don't have our own facility. So we really value that the resources that are already in Cincinnati within the recovery community. Where are you guys meeting at, at this point? Um, so in northern Kentucky, we meet at a church called First Christian Church, uh, who has generously lended us the space free of charge. Um, in Lexington, we meet at the PCSO, which is the LGBT Center in Lexington. And in Cincinnati, we're working on transitioning to a new facility um, that's going to be at uh, Caracol, uh, pending finalizing the meeting this, this coming week. Uh, but Caracol assists with um, HIV prevention mm-hmm. and treatment services in the greater Cincinnati area. So are you guys, do you meet weekly then at, in each um, uh, facility, or is it, uh, h- how do you set the meetings up um, at this point? So in, in northern Kentucky, we meet on a weekly basis. Um, if the, the deal goes through with uh, the Caracol facility, we'll be meeting on a weekly basis in Cincinnati as well. In Lexington, we meet there once a month. So do the individuals, you know, the I guess, uh, what, would you call them clients? You call them um, participants? What's the... Yeah, participants, or in, if an individual reaches out to our uh, glass hotline number, because we have a number anyone can call 24 hours a day, it's forwarded to our leadership team cell phone. So, um, you know, someone is always there to lend a helping hand. But, you know, those individuals who reach out to us, we generally refer to them as a, a prospect or a prospective member of a glass. Um, and participants is usually what we use when someone's participating in peer support. Is this similar to, if, you know, someone that's not familiar with um something like this to AA or um, is this, do you guys, you know, do some of the individuals go to? I would say, yeah, I I mean, everyone works their own personal program of recovery who's involved with GLASS and Mm -hmm. we don't view ourselves as a program of recovery. We view ourselves as a pool of resources, both people and relationships with community partners to help people. Um, But most of our participants work a program of recovery um, in a 12-step program. So they do stuff outside what you guys have, and then, you know, and then you guys meet up? It's We're more like supplemental support, okay. or also very commonly the initial support that helps get people back to where they need to be. Because, like, just real briefly, I'll share, you know, many people will come and say, you know, well, what are you doing tonight? Like, after Pierce, mm-hmm. and I'll say, well, you know, I'm going to this 12-step program, um, you know, where I go on a regular basis. And, you know, if we've built relationships with them and they identify with the same things we do, they often follow. And, Andrew, you're coming to Bloomington, is that correct? Yeah, I'll be at uh, Bloomington Pride uh, in August. Uh, I'll actually be there uh, helping out with the Human Rights Campaign booth. But if anyone, um, you know, wants to stop by, that's where you'll find me. I'll be at the HRC booth, the whole Pride Festival. Um, so I'm more than happy to talk with any individual who's struggling or, you know, community partnership um, as well. It's something I love to talk about in building more relationships with areas such as Bloomington. 
yeah, I think Bloomington would be uh, an awesome spot for for you guys to make some friends up this way and with our community and with the yeah. the college and you know I think that that is uh, I'm sure it's needed and it would be I, I can't I don't know if there's anything similar to that uh, that you guys are doing that are actually up here. I lived in Bloomington, but I lived in Indianapolis for about six years and would often go to Bloomington and. I think there's some people who might benefit from our services. <laughs> <laughs> of course. You know, I was thinking about, you know, um, you know, fundraising and, you know, money and advertisements and stuff. And, you know, I was flipping through a lot of the LGBTQ magazines and, and websites and stuff. And it's all alcohol base. You know, when you're mm-hmm. looking at, you know, um, and it doesn't necessarily distinguish age, you know, it's 20s and up. Right. Um, it's one of the, 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 the big companies, you know, showing fun and supporting and, you know, this pride or that pride, but it's all based around alcohol. Right. And I think that's, you know, one thing about our community is that, you know, we have to get some control over or understand because I, you know, I think we, we fall into that, you know, that they're, they're not necessarily giving us the money because they love us. They're giving us the money because we're making them rich. Right. Um, and so I think it's kind of a, it's a mix, but, but coming out as a, you know, we got Kevin here, who's, you know, a college student, still a young individual. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, uh, you know, going to the bars and stuff. And that's just such, you know, that's how you're uh, introduced into kind of the mainstream gay culture is through partying a lot of times. I'm not saying I don't want to pigeonhole saying that that's, you know, where, where all the gays <laughs> head is to the bars. But, you know, if, but if you're from a smaller community or you don't have um, allies or a, a, a large breach of people to, to, to go to or role models, you know, you're going to maybe go to gay bars and there's going to be alcohol involved and, you know, you might find drugs as well and it's where you traditionally have met people right always right i know that you know that we talk about kind of these uh you know the, the apps and stuff and you know some of the bars are talking about pulling away but still the party drugs and things that are involved with with just that behavior as well so you know just the educational component of it i know that a lot of the hiv um, std prevention programs around talk about that but i think to have something like what you guys are, are doing now and and being out there and saying you know that it probably touches more of our friends than we realize and what can we do as a community to support these people and you know and out there and i think this is just a a brilliant idea that you know that you're people have been able to bring this forward and I'm sure it's going to implode, um, you know, in, in, a, in a good way. Right. Right. But, um, you know, it's, it's sadly with the, you know, the, you know, we, we don't see the opiates and we don't see alcohols, uh, alcoholism, you know, going away that, you know, this is why I think, you, you, you know, your program or your community is, is so important to have. It is. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah, it would be a wonderful thing to see in Bloomington. I really do think so. I think a lot. And, I mean, we'd love to be all over the tri-state, but the truth Mm -hmm. is, you know, we're all, it's 100% volunteer-funded right now, and no one's paid in the organization, and, you know, it takes time and a lot of of relationship building, and we're trying our best to put as much effort and energy into growth as we can, but doing it at the same time more strategically just to make sure that the quality of the work that we're doing with people 
So if someone was, you know, interested in contacting you and, you know, hearing more about your program and, and either, you know, interested in doing something up this way or whatever it might be or have, you know, family or might be moving in, in your direction, how would they contact you? Um, well, you're always welcome to uh, reach out to our organization um, via, like, online if you go to glass.org. Um, under the contact information, you'll see all the emails for the leadership, uh, including myself. My email is andrew at glass.org. Um, so that's a very simple, easy way to contact us. Um, you're also welcome to contact you know, our, our hotline number, which is always open as well. Um, that's awesome. So we'll definitely, uh, hopefully push people that way. So what's, you know, and you get, we got like a minute left. What, what are, where do you see within the next minute, if you can kind of paint a picture of what you're hoping and what people can do to, to really support you at this point? Yeah. I mean, the main call for support is just continuing to receive engagement from the community. Um, you know, but time, talent, treasure, you know, that's what we really need, um, whether that be um, people making contributions to our, uh, you know, our purpose or just donating some time if you uh, want to participate in one of our fundraisers or sober events, um, and then also just referring the people. Um, you know, we need to be connected with people to continue to do what we do. Um, if you know of anyone struggling, we I highly encourage you to have them reach out to us. We work with people all over the tri-state area. Awesome. Well, we're out of time. And before we go, let's take a few moments to thank our lovely guest, Andrew Barr, or Bear. Is it Barr or Bear? I want to get that right. I'm sorry. Bear. Okay. <laughs> thank you for taking um, time and out of your busy schedule. Um, and we look forward to seeing you again. Um, I think uh, I, d- I don't have the, the, the uh, date yet for Pride. August 25th. Oh, August 25th. There we go. Um, so additional thanks to all of our listeners and volunteers who make this possible. I'm Kevin Mosenzade. Blooming Out is produced by Frankie Presloff. Our executive producer is WFHB News Director Wes Martin. Lucas Fisher is our engineer. For Blooming Out and WFHB, I'm Justin Robertson. And I'm Frankie Presslaff, wishing our listeners a wonderful week. And please remember, if everything was straight, roller coasters would be one long, boring ride. Good night from our Blooming Out family. You've been listening to Blooming Out on WFHB. Blooming Out is a product of WFHB's News and Public Affairs Department. Tune in every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. for Indiana's only LGBTQ plus news and public affairs program. You can hear this and other programs online at WFHB.org. Comments and suggestions for future topics or guests can be sent to bloomingout at WFHB.org. That is blooming O-U-T at WFHB.org. And thank you for listening.